Welcome to the first episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. On this edition, our topics are college football, the NFL, and the NBA. Let's get to it. Patrick, let's start off our discussion of college football with a little uh, recap of what happened on College Football Championship Saturday, starting off with number 5 Texas A&M against Tennessee. Texas A&M came into this game, and they needed to dominate Tennessee, really put it away, and show that they were belonging in the top four if they wanted to really make the playoffs. And, you know, they also needed some other help above them, but I'd say they did enough on their own, but uh, we'll get to it later, but the help, unfortunately, didn't come through. But in this game, they were 10 for 14 on third down. They held Tennessee to one of six. They held the ball for 44 minutes. They had they outrushed Tennessee by 192 yards. I mean, it's just they they really piled it on. Kellen Mond had more rushing yards than Tennessee as a whole, and also had an 80 percent completion percentage and 280 yards. They just outright just dominated this game on all on in all facets of it. Well, you mentioned that Texas A&M, despite uh, beating Tennessee handily, although maybe not as large on the scoreboard as they'd want to, they needed a little help. Uh, one of those games they were looking for help in was number four Ohio State against number fourteen Northwestern in the Big Ten championship game. Yeah, so Ohio State came out. They came out very, very slow in this game. They had two interceptions. They had one, I think, about down ten to six right before the halftime, and it looked like Northwestern was going to completely swing the game back in their favor after Ohio State responding to Northwestern's initial lead. But overall, both teams really just, both teams looked like they didn't want to win, to be quite honest. I mean, Northwestern had two interceptions. They also had an interception in the end zone. They also lost a fumble. Ohio State had two interceptions total. But when it all came down to it, it was actually the running game for Ohio State that wasn't supposed to be the big factor, but it ended up being the big factor. Trey Sermon had a Big Ten championship game record at 331 yards on 29 carries, which was good enough for 11.4 yards per carry. I mean, when you average a first down on every run, you're probably going to win the game. But I think Northwestern proved that they that they belong. They I think they're going to go out and they might win their bowl game, but we'll we'll get more into that later. Yes, yeah, a um, might not have been the most uh, dominating win on the scoreboard for Ohio State. A very sloppy game. I guess what uh, to be expected with Ohio State missing a lot of players having to sit out a couple, sit out a week with the Michigan game being canceled. Uh, sloppy, but Ohio State ultimately prevailed. So let's move on to our next matchup, which was the Big 12 championship game between number 10 Oklahoma and number 6 Iowa State, who was also looking for some help to get into the playoff. Yeah, Iowa State also needed Ohio State to lose and probably needed Texas A&M to lose, maybe, but... They also needed to take care of their own business and win this game, and they did not. Oklahoma beat them 27-21. They jumped out to a 17-0 lead with only 8 minutes and 40 seconds left in the second quarter very early in the game. They were down 24-7 at halftime. Iowa State ended up rallying back to score 14 unanswered, but three interceptions and and an interception on 3rd and 11 with one with a little over one minute left in the game really ended the game for them, and that, that ended their run. And so uh, the next matchup was probably the marquee matchup, or one of two marquee matchups of the day, uh, with two playoff hopeful teams, number three Clemson against number two Notre Dame, this time uh, in a neutral setting in the ACC championship game. Obviously the first matchup 
uh, was Notre Dame over Clemson in a tight game in South Bend uh, with Trevor Lawrence sitting out due to COVID. Uh, what happened with a full-strength Clemson against Notre Dame at a neutral site? Well, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, Amari Rogers firing on all cylinders, the quarterback, running back, receiver trio right there. All of them, uh, Rogers and Etienne both having 100 yards and a touchdown each, and Trevor Lawrence throwing for 300-plus yards, two touchdowns, and even ran for 90 yards and a touchdown. But to me, this game is about Notre Dame missing opportunities. I mean... They missed a field goal up 3 to nothing, a chip shot field goal at that, 24 yards in the first quarter. Then they dropped a pass on 4th and 3, down 7 to 3 in the second quarter. And Clemson started to run the clock out with a minute and 49 seconds left in the game. And after attempting to run the clock down a little bit, Clemson got one first down and just marched down the field and 88 yards down the field in a minute and 45 seconds to go up 24 to 3 at halftime and then to cap it all off maybe they wouldn't have won they wouldn't have gotten anywhere closer but down 31 to 3 getting a holding call in a fourth and 6 is not the greatest thing so at the end of the day Clemson prevailed in the rematch 34 to 10 which leaves us with our final matchup in the ACC in the SEC championship game excuse me number 1 Alabama against number 7 Florida who was also hoping uh, for some help they need to help themselves first. What happened there, Patrick? Well, Florida was playing uh, after the infamous shoe throw game that probably knocked them almost near out of playoff contention. A lot of people thinking, including myself, that they were ranked a little too high, only fell one spot after losing to 5-5 five and five LSU. But they walked in this championship game and proved that they were worth their ranking. Um, they, they played Alabama very, very close. I don't think there was anything in this game that was very, very obviously that they did wrong, like Notre Dame's missed opportunities. I think both teams played a good game. Alabama got the few stops that they needed. I mean, Najee Harris had had three of his four re- reception touchdowns on the season in this one game. He only had one coming into the game, had three during the game. He also ran for 178 yards and scored two touchdowns. Devontae Smith had 15 receptions, 184 yards, and two touchdowns. And Mac Jones probably proved that he should win the Heisman with an 80% completion percentage and 400-plus yards and five touchdowns to only one interception. But credit to the guys at Florida for still fighting. Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Toney, Kyle Trask all had great games to try to will their team back into it. Well, we'll find out in a few weeks whether Mac Jones did indeed do enough to win the Heisman. Uh, What we did find out this weekend on Sunday was who's in and who's out of the college football playoff. While the top four teams did not change, the order of those teams did change, with the college football playoff selection committee seating Alabama number one, Clemson number two, Ohio State number three, and Notre Dame number four. Patrick, your thoughts on the college football playoff committee's choices? I, I see their logic, and I don't think that they got this year entirely wrong but I honestly would have put Texas A&M in the game and the reason being is they've taken a lot of teams who have lost their conference championship games and they've demoted them significantly in the past they took Alabama from uh, number two to number four I believe it was a few years ago when losing the SEC championship game they left them in the they left them in the bracket in general but they did move their seating down and I think Notre Dame what they showed on on Saturday is that they they just can't beat those two superior teams. Could they beat Ohio State? 
or Florida or Texas A&M or Iowa State or Oklahoma. They could probably beat a few of those teams. But I think if they lose by this much to Clemson and don't really have a good showing, what what's the point in having them in there when we pretty much know that they that they are going to lose to Alabama? I just think you might as well give Texas A&M another shot to beat Alabama all the way back from week two of the season for them as opposed to having Notre Dame in who just lost last week to Clemson. What do you think? Well, Patrick, I think that the point of having Notre Dame in the playoff, by the way, your your analysis of uh, of their ability to beat teams, I agree with. Um, i you know, not sure Texas should be rewarded because they lost the first week of the A&M, season you mean, to Alabama, A&M. Texas A&M, correct. Um, I, I think the, the rationale for it is quite simple. It's television ratings. Uh, Notre Dame-Alabama just will draw more eyeballs than Notre Dame-Texas A&M matchup. Um, I hate to say it, Texas A&M fans, but name brand and name recognition uh, does matter. Uh, and I think that was really the deciding factor. Even and, it's not official criteria. And you wonder also if it had something to do with them saying, well, at least let's give Notre Dame a shot because A&M already blundered theirs to beat Alabama. Correct. So Notre Dame can earn its way back into the third game with Clemson or maybe Ohio State. Who knows we'll, who will win that game. But, or A&M just kind of making it just because of what they did after losing to Alabama. I mean, I just think that win over Florida is a lot more significant than either of Notre Dame's wins over ranked teams in the regular season. But, anyway. Well, uh, we could go and debate this, and I think part of the fun, and frankly, uh, part of what the committee relies on is people debating this and a little bit of controversy. There's no such thing as bad publicity out there. So, uh, with that being said, with the selections being made, let's take a look at the, uh, at the matchups. For the college football playoff, of course, these games will be on January 1st this year. Um, and while both games are taking place on January 1st, we have a little bit of an oddity here. Alabama, number one, playing number four, Notre Dame. The oddity is not that they're playing. It's that they're playing in the Rose Bowl game, which will be in Arlington, Texas this year, uh, as the Rose Bowl had to relocate from Pasadena due to COVID. Patrick, what uh, what's your quick thoughts on this game? I think Alabama should take this one home pretty easily. I think they will cruise into the finals and I just don't think that Notre Dame has enough firepower, really, to compete with this roster. Alabama's roster is stacked with Sunday guys as normal. And Notre Dame has some of those guys, too. But I think Mac Jones is just overall a stronger quarterback than Ian Book. And the pieces around him also complement him better. What do you think about this game? Well, I, uh, I think, uh, obviously, on paper, I tend to agree with you. But this has been a crazy year. So why don't we wait to see, actually, who's able to play in this game. You don't know what's going to happen uh, with COVID and various other things. Very, I very think, true. I think I tend to agree with you there. Uh, more intriguing matchup uh, in the other semifinal game is once again number two Clemson versus number three Ohio State, a rematch of last year in the Sugar Bowl. With the seating flipped, but. <laughs> yes. Same teams, uh, different seating. What are your quick, quick take on this game, Patrick? What's your quick thoughts? I think that this game will play out very, very similar to how it did last year but with a huge difference in game plan and who's playing on either side, obviously, as Ohio State and Clemson kept their quarterbacks, but around them, Trey Sermon replacing J.K. Dobbins, ETN still there for Clemson, but a lot of pieces moving around on both sides. But I think overall, I think Clemson has kept their continuity up, and I think they, I think we'll see Alabama-Clemson for yet another time. Well, we're going to have more in-depth analysis and predictions as we get closer to the games, which is always wise this year. I will just say don't, under, don't underestimate the motivational power of, of revenge in a rematch. But uh, we will, again, have more in-depth analysis as we get closer to those games. Um, obviously, those are the marquee bowl games. Let's talk briefly 
um, about some of the other bowl game action. Uh, we have a very strange bowl season this year. Uh, the bowl season has already started, actually, uh, on Monday. So, Patrick, why don't you uh, give me some quick thoughts on this very strange postseason for college football of 2020? Well, I think I think today's game between Appalachian State and North Texas was a pretty pretty good indication of what might happen in some of these other games. You have an eight and three team from the Sun Belt against a four and t- against a four and five team from the CUSA. Sunbelt overall a much stronger conference. Appalachian State lost to three ranked teams. North Texas had a very strong offense, but their defense gave up two 60-plus yard touchdown runs in this game, and I think this might be a microcosm of the bowl season. There might be a few games that are very lopsided. So that's interesting. Why is it do you think that uh, the bowl games might be very lopsided this season? Well, originally you had 9-2 and two Army and 5-5 five and five LSU who are the defending champions with no bowl games, and two and eight and three and seven SEC counterparts of LSU, South Carolina and Tennessee in bowl games. Now Tennessee had to drop out of their bowl game due to COVID, so now Army has replaced them against West Virginia. But you still have a two and eight South Carolina team in a bowl game, and a team like LSU, who in a normal year, five and five being equated to six and six, would make a bowl game. So it's very odd, but there are a few teams, as you saw, including today, a 4-5 and five North Texas team from the CUSA in bowl games, and I just think it, it will make for these kinds of matchups. Yeah, we've got about 20 teams, uh, at least, that decided not to play in bowl games, and some of those teams were teams with winning records, and what's happened, as you've mentioned, is you just frankly have some pretty bad college football teams who are playing in bowl games this year. Definitely going to be an interesting bowl season. Uh, we will also have predictions for some of the more significant bowl games in our upcoming podcast but let's shift gears and head to the national football league with a recap of some of the weekend's most critical games in terms of the playoff picture and other considerations let's start in the afc first with the bills with a 48 to 19 win over the denver broncos patrick well the bills with this win take over the number two seed and they clinch their division that is their first division title in 20 plus years the fans feel like they have a real Super Bowl contender there in Buffalo. Uh, they look like they finally have their quarterback. We'll see if they can get to the Super Bowl. They're going to have to go through, uh, likely, the Kansas City Chiefs, who prevailed in the NFL's marquee matchup of the weekend, 32-29 to over the Saints with Drew Brees in his not-successful return. Yeah, Drew Brees looked a little rusty in this game. I mean, especially to begin with. I think he started off 1-for-6 with an interception. Did not look like normal Drew Brees. But... He'll move on, and they'll get better. I think they showed some good things at, towards the end of that game, and the Chiefs overall strengthened their hold on the number one seed. And uh, the next matchup was a surprising win by the Los Angeles Chargers, 30-27, to over the Las Vegas Raiders uh, in the battle of teams that uh, either used to or currently call Los Angeles their second home. John Gruden a little confused at the first half of the game with the Oakland Raiders hat on during that game. Patrick, what are your thoughts on this, this result? Well, much like his hat choice, I think his team's a little confused recently. I mean, they've lost four out of five games. Originally, they were 6-3. and three. They had beaten the Cleveland Browns. They looked like they were in prime playoff position. And just like last year, just at the end, it's like this team is just kind of coming apart at the seams. And, I mean, we'll see if they can bounce back. They're technically still in the playoff race, but I don't think they have much of a chance to get back in there. And in another surprise, uh, Monday night game, the Cincinnati Bengals defeated the Pittsburgh Steelers 27-17. What does that do to the Steelers' playoff positioning? 
Well, at this point, they're lucky that they've already clinched the playoffs. I, I think there might be a shift in who might win that division, especially from the perception from the beginning of the season. And I think this is not a very good look whatsoever going into the playoffs, but they'll have to move on and hope they can beat the Browns in the last week and win that division. We'll talk about teams heading in different directions heading into the playoff. Our last uh, key AFC game from the weekend was the Baltimore Ravens with a not surprising, but still impressive 40-14 to win over the Jacksonville Jaguars. Well, I mean, this game is just two different teams. The Ravens trending in the right direction after that huge Monday night win last week over the Browns. They had a lineman rush for a 20-yard first down in this game. It's just a sign that all things are going right for them and all things are going wrong for Jacksonville. But we'll get on to later why some things are going right for them. Yeah, that'll be our last little tidbit here on why uh, we had some positive developments for the Jacksonville Jaguars this weekend uh, involving an NFC team. But before we get to that, let's move on to uh, some significant NFC action. The first uh, game from the NFC is the Cardinals over the Eagles 33-26 to in a battle of former Oklahoma quarterbacks who transferred to Oklahoma to end their career. Yeah, this game this game showed a few things to me. It showed that the Cardinals they, they're picking their they're picking back up into their stride. They have they have a decent chance to make the playoffs and maybe even maybe even pull off an upset in the first round against a divisional rival like the Seahawks or the Rams. But um, overall, looks like Philadelphia might have even found their quarterback. Jalen Hurts had a great game for the second game in a row, and. I guess things are trending in the right direction for them, and who knows? They're in the NFC East. I guess they still have a chance. I think everybody in that division still has a chance, so it'll be interesting. Well, speaking of everybody in that division having a chance, in a battle of two former NFC powerhouses, one of whom still has a chance to make the playoffs and the other who has no chance, uh, Dallas Cowboys prevailed over the San Francisco 49ers 41-33. to a little bit of a shocking result, but I guess the Cowboys have a lot more on the line. Nick Mullen's still starting for the Niners. They don't have Jimmy G. People will debate forever who wins, which one of them is better, but I think it's safe to say who's better. But, I mean, the Cowboys somehow, just because of the garbage fire that is the NFC East, are only one game back of winning a division and getting into the playoffs. So, with a 5-9 and nine record, they're one game out of a playoff spot. Yep. There's probably going to be a team that walks into the playoffs at probably at best seven and nine, maybe six and ten, if certain things shake out from that division. And I don't think they have much of a chance to beat their first round opponent, but we'll have to see. You never know. It's 2020. Well, let's talk about a playoff team with a winning record. The Green Bay Packers defeated the Carolina Panthers 24 to 16. Yeah, the Packers in this one, I mean, they played, you know, they played a a little bit of a weak Panthers team. They kept it a little bit close, but Aaron Rodgers did his thing, made enough plays to win the game, and they got the win that was necessary. Well, let's circle back to a game we talked about for AFC implications that also had NFC implications, and that's the uh, Chiefs' 32-29 win over the Saints. Yeah, so this game, because of the Saints losing, means that the Packers are in sole possession of the number one seed in the NFC, the Packers hold the tiebreaker over the Saints from an early season victory. So I think this almost guarantees the Packers being that one seed, getting that one bye this year. And another uh, cross-conference cross matchup that has implications on number one, although a different kind of number one, uh, was the Jets-Rams game. Now, the Rams came into this game as a 17-point favorite. 
and they ended up losing to the previously winless Jets, 23-20 to at home. Your thoughts on this game, Patrick, putting aside the fact that you are a Rams fan. I think this is, as Sean McVay described it, disappointing. There are plenty of things to look at. Plenty of things went wrong. The Rams got a punt blocked. They turned the ball over way too much. Overall, just a bad game by the Rams. Well, as disappointed as Rams fans may be with a loss, ironically, Jets fans may have reason to be more disappointed with the victory. Patrick, why don't you uh, tell us why that is? Well, the Jets are in tank mode. Tank for Trevor it is, is the story of the season between the Jets and the Jaguars and a few other teams. But at this point, after this week, you have the 1-13 Jets and the 1-13 Jaguars. So it should be okay for them, right? Well, no, the tiebreaker is strength of schedule overall, and the Jets have the second toughest schedule in the entirety of the NFL, meaning that the Jaguars, if they lose out, automatically get the number two pick, number one overall pick. And it doesn't look like the Jaguars are going to win either of these games when they're playing Chicago and Indianapolis, who Chicago is currently fighting for a playoff spot, and Indianapolis is fighting to maybe win their division. So it's not looking likely for the Jets to get this number one pick, and it's it's all due to Sam Darnold finally stepping up to win a game. Well, the Jets uh, may have gotten a win this weekend, but it looks like they may have lost an opportunity at getting their franchise quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. Uh, that is, if he would have agreed to sign with them in the first place. So... That's all for a few weeks from now to see how the regular season shakes out in the NFL and then obviously months down the road uh, with the NFL draft. Uh, With that, let's turn our attention to the National Basketball Association. After the shortest layoff between seasons in NBA history, a 71-day break between the time the Los Angeles Lakers captured the NBA championship and the kickoff of the NBA season, on Tuesday we have two marquee matchups that include the world champion Los Angeles Lakers. Patrick, why don't you start with Golden State Warriors against the Brooklyn Nets? Yeah, so this game is a very good uh, measuring stick game early, 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 obviously. Very first game of the season in the year. You have Golden State, who is down Clay Thompson again, but this year they hopefully will have Steph Curry for more than five games. And Draymond Green, they have second overall pick James Wiseman, So they've reloaded their roster, and they're against another team who's reloaded theirs with Brooklyn, the return of Kevin Durant against his former team. Should be an interesting one. And in another interesting matchup, the Los Angeles Clippers against their crosstown rivals and again defending NBA champion LeBron James and company and the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, another revenge game here, this time for Montrez Harrell, maybe not as much as Kevin Durant, but he... Took the short walk across the hall from the Clippers to the Lakers. If you can't beat him, join him. And he will be joining the Lakers with Dennis Schroeder, Marcus Saul, and they have Taylor Horton Tucker, who seems to be coming on strong at the end of the preseason. Might even make a splash on this roster. They look like the champions. They look like they're the obvious best team in LA. They've improved significantly more than the Clippers did in this offseason, and I'm interested to see this game. And before the NBA takes a brief Christmas Eve hiatus, Thursday night we have some other key matchups on Wednesday, December 23rd, with Milwaukee against Boston. Yeah, this could be this could be a preview of the Eastern Conference Finals. I mean, you got the Heat, you got Brooklyn up, up there fighting for that spot, but this might end up being a preview of that. There's no Kemba Walker for Boston to begin the season. He's out until maybe about January, but Giannis, fresh off his extension... 
the trade for Drew Holiday. This is a reloaded roster for, Mil- for Milwaukee, and they're hoping that it lives up to its expectations this year. Another interesting matchup has the Utah Jazz against the Portland Trailblazers. This is a matchup of teams that are maybe in that second tier of Western contenders, maybe not alongside the powerhouses like the Lakers and the Clippers, but they could definitely make the jump and get there. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, Rudy Gobert, obviously, for Utah, dynamic duo. On the other side, you have Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, the best backcourt in the NBA, and that's about all for that game. Well, let's talk about uh, a game involving two up-and-coming teams uh, in the NBA, that's Dallas Mavericks against the Phoenix Suns. Yep, you got the young core with DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker. Uh, now alongside veteran Chris Paul, the 15-year, I guess he's a journeyman at this point, on a few on his third team in four years about. He's, he's making his rounds around the NBA. He hopes to help these young guys take on a roster with Luka Doncic, early season, one of the top MVP candidates. This roster still might be down Porzingis, but towards the end of the season, they might be rounding out to be a contender. And of course, it wouldn't be Christmas Day without NBA marquee matchups. This year featuring five very compelling matchups on the NBA's Christmas Day schedule. Let's start by talking about the Los Angeles Clippers against the Denver Nuggets. Yeah, an, an interesting matchup of uh, the Clippers, who seem to be a contender against the Denver Nuggets, who knocked them out of the playoffs last year, looking to get some revenge there. Uh, I, d- I don't know about this game. I mean, this one this one could be another... This one could be the Western Conference semifinals or finals again this year. Who knows? And the next game, we got Dallas against the Lakers. We have the up-and-coming Luka Doncic against... LeBron and AD, the dynamic duo of the whole NBA. These teams played a very exciting overtime game, very close to the shutdown last year, and we'll just see how this matchup goes. And how about Brooklyn versus Boston? So this is starting the Eastern Conference slate. They got Brooklyn against Boston. This is the only game that's pure Eastern Conference, Eastern Conference of the night. I don't know if they're the only good teams there, but this should be an interesting one. I mean, you have Milwaukee playing Boston two days earlier, so you will have these teams really showing their medal early in the season. And a matchup of two teams we talked about from Tuesday and Wednesday night. It's Golden State against Milwaukee. What do you look for here, Patrick? This is a matchup that I think a lot of people have been waiting for. I think Steph Curry and Giannis a few years ago, people could have said they should have been in the finals against each other. Kawhi and, and the Raptors put an end to that dream for Giannis. But they're, they're coming back reloaded, and we'll see how that one shakes out. And our final game on Christmas Day, the New Orleans Pelicans against the Eastern Conference champion Miami Heat. Yeah, this is, this is an interesting one. I mean, you have you have the Pelicans who are hoping to trend up from last year. Obviously, they got Zion Williamson, and they're hoping that they can carry their superstars and their young guys and make a playoff run this year. And you got Miami, who just won the Eastern Conference, took the Lakers to six games. And still everybody is saying, including myself, they're just talking about Brooklyn and Boston and Milwaukee. They're out to prove something. We'll see how that game shakes out. And our final matchup to talk about for the weekend Saturday, it's the new look, and who knows how new the look will be. Maybe James Harden will still be there. Uh, Houston Rockets against the Portland Trailblazers. Yeah, this will this will be an interesting one to see Steven Silas's new system, see if James Harden has gotten up to speed like he hopes he would. And, well, let's hope he's still there by Saturday. 
Yeah, we will. It's Saturday is a long way away. We will preview <laughs> or actually uh, take a look back at that action in our next podcast. Um, speaking of which, due to the Christmas holiday, our next podcast will be a little off schedule. We'll be on Saturday, December 26th instead of on Friday, Christmas Day. Um, so thank you for tuning in. And in the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his NCAA tournament bracket predictions and his college football bowl game picks on our website at 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. And this concludes the 4th and 24 podcast recorded on December 21, 2020. Thank you.